Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. A uh, little bit of a creator spotlight here. We have a returning creator. We're big fans of his work. If you listen to the show for a long time, you've probably heard him on here before. So it's my pleasure to welcome Zach Kaplan back to the show. Zach, thanks for taking the time. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, man. We always have great conversations. Uh, I know we talked when we saw each other at WonderCon about having you on to talk about your three latest books. Uh, we're finally making it happen. Uh, totally on me. I've been so busy uh, making this happen. But we're going to kick it off. So for everybody that's not familiar with Zach, uh, I think we made our acquaintance many, many moons ago, San Diego Comic-Con, uh, Eclipse from Top Cow, which we're big fans of. And you're sort of in that sci-fi space, things like, you know, Port of Earth and Lost City Explorers and what have you. And the, these three books that we're going to talk about today, one from Vault, Mindset, one from Dark Horse, which is Breakout, and another from Top Cow, Metal Society. They all sort of have that sci-fi seed if you will but they're all very very different so let's kick it off with mindset like i said uh give us the elevator pitch let everybody know what's mindset all about yeah by the way you are you getting my audio or did my audio go out jace yeah, you're good you're good it is it's good yeah i got yellow uh caution lights on my on my microphone here that's the technology doesn't want me to uh to speak out you got exactly me. uh maybe it's the bat is it plugged in because you're coming in the same volume level as you were previously. All right, here we go. Now I got some. Change to share. How about this? We good now? Yeah, All right. Yeah, we're good. All right. Uh, what was the question? <laughs> yeah. Give us the elevator. Give us the elevator pitch for Mindset. Let everybody know what it's about. Yeah, Mindset is a very uh, David Fincher-esque uh, sci-fi thriller about mind control, but also about our relationship with our devices, with our smartphones, with our technology. And it focuses on uh, kind of a modern reinvention of, of kind of mind control tropes. It's a bunch of grad students that discover a real-life form of mind control uh, that's a light and sound combination that you can see through your phone, and it will make you susceptible to any suggestion you you hear but they don't you know go partying with it or or do anything crazy they decide to put it in a meditation app to altruistically help people free themselves from their addiction to technology and then a billion people start using the app and they realize that they're not helping people but controlling them it's very much a uh rags to riches kind of business startup uh rise to to influence this kind of uh, underdog group of uh, four guys um, who kind of start off trying to disrupt and change Silicon Valley and then very much become a part of it. And uh, and it it goes south very quickly. There's some uh, twists and turns and there's a murder. We open on the protagonist wanted for killing his investor. And he says, I didn't do it. It was all mind control. So, um, yeah, it's a it's quite a ride with uh, Vault Comics. John Pearson's the artist, and uh, Asan Osman El is the the letter. Yeah, and the art is absolutely fantastic. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But before we get into that, I got to talk about a little bit uh, the impetus of the series because, yeah, mind control tropes, and certainly meta when you talk about social media and technology. You know, I'm as guilty of it as the next guy, maybe more so with my day job in IT of, you know, head down in the phone, even when I'm walking, <laughs> you kind of don't see the forest for the trees at times. But really behind that, this idea of who, who's in control of your life? Like, what does it mean? To, what does freedom mean? Like, these are really big ideas. So what, like, what was the initial idea? What was the angle you were coming at it from? Like, give us an idea of how it all came together in your head. Yeah, I, it's kind of funny because I feel like we are all aware that our devices are controlling us right now. We all have problems with our 
uh, addiction to our devices. I, I, I feel like if you have a smartphone, you are trying to figure out how to use it less or how you want to use it. We're all facing that, like millions and millions and millions of people were laughing about it as our behaviors are completely changed. Uh, and this is new. This is not something that happened five, 10 years ago. I mean, the, the, the addiction to our devices has just happened in the last decade. So our, our very, the way we communicate with each other is changing right before our eyes. This is, this is societal behavior in, in human history. And, and we're laughing about it. And we're kind of like, so I, I just found it very interesting when you think about the sci-fi trope of mind control. And cause I've done like, I've done robots, I've done alien arrival, I've done lots of other sci-fi tropes, but in terms of mind control, if you want to look at mind control in today's society, it exists today with what um, tech companies are doing through social media and through our, our devices. We we are being controlled and we think we're in control. And I just think it's a, it was a really fascinating setup to kind of look at the, uh, look at, to say, oh, well, it's real mind control, but you could almost read mindset and take out the the leap of faith that that they've discovered mind control and imagine that they just discovered the next app and it still works, you know, because they're they're not so different. The next app or the next device that makes us more addicted is not so different than actual mind control. So yeah, it was a it was a really just my own kind of observation and frustration with our relationship with our devices. And, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of movies like social network and, and kind of also really a big fan of, um, kind of who's in control thrillers with those kinds of twists and turns. And I thought it all wrapped up to make a pretty fascinating story. It made an incredible story. Uh, and it was terrifying in a way because it does sort of open your eyes because we are all being controlled. Like you said, uh, you could take it one step further. You know, you were talking about the next app. It could have just been they discovered a better algorithm, right? Right. A better algorithm to show you the things that you want to see that are then going to, it starts this cycle. You know, I want to see my phone more because it's showing me what I want to see. So that makes me want to see my phone more. So it shows me more of what I want to see. And it's just this, you know, this terrible, uh, <laughs> this terrible cycle. But again, it goes back to some questions that you raised in the book about even with the protagonist at times not knowing, like, is he controlling himself? Did he do this voluntarily? Like, do we, it's a, it's a line in the book that shows up a couple of times about humans want to be influenced. Yeah. Yeah. Right. What's well, true. Right. We crave influence. Uh, it's an interest. That was a fun place to write. I mean, uh, Ben Sharp is probably my most complex character that I've written because he's really porn on the one hand, he grew up, on technology. He loves computers. He loves technology. He loves the idea that that technology could, you know, help people and inspire and change and make us better. And he very much wants, he grew up on idols like uh, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. So he very much wants to be like that. But he also hates what's going on in kind of the manipulation of our data and kind of the way tech companies have evolved to be far more focused on profits than people. And yet, uh, even though he sets out with this very hopeful, idealistic mission of, of, of changing things, he gets sucked in 
to being influential and powerful and connected because that's also something we all want that we've been conditioned to by our experience with social media. We've been trained that everything is uh, about, you know, clicks and followers and influence. And so influence is a very pervasive kind of topic and theme in the book. And, and he's very torn between trying to do the right thing, but also de- wanting to be influential. And um, yeah, at, at one point he gets, <laughs> he's giving a, a, a Ted talk uh, as a kind of uh, when he's being idolized and kind of saying, well, and this is kind of my, um, my Gordon Gecko greed is good uh, um, moment, kind of akin to Wall Street. And, and which is to say that Ben is saying it's okay for tech companies, for people to influence other people and control other people, because we all want that control anyway. So as long as, as long as the people who are doing it have a, have a, think they have a conscience, it's, it's okay. Um, But I think that's kind of the, 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 the funny thing about it all is we allow ourselves to be uh, controlled um, maybe for the security of it all or the entertainment value of it all. We, there is some truth to that. You know, we want to be free, but we also like, like the being controlled. I don't know. So it's, it was a really fun, fascinating um, themes to explore. Yeah. Part of me, I feel like it's engagement, you know, like you want engagement, you want to feel like you're, being seen, you want to get your voice, yeah. out there. but it's sort of a chicken and an egg thing, right? Like, okay, I want to influence people. Like, like I'm just going to use myself as, as an example, right? Yeah, I do. Why have I been doing this podcast for 10 years? Cause I want people to love comics. I want people to read comics. I think the stories are, are great. And there's you know so many good ones. And so, you know, so I, I want more people to engage with my channel and my podcast and everything so that my influence will be bigger so I can get, pull more people in. So it's like, you know, I, I feel this is a, a you know, non altruistic. Yeah, it's a good it's a good natured uh, uh, goal. Right. But but again, it's like I want more influence so I can and, and it's sort of the same thing with Ben, right? Like he wants more influence so he can do a good thing. But if if you want to do the good thing and reach a lot of people, you need more influence. So you have to you know, it's like at what price do you sell your soul? Does does the end justify the means, I guess, at the end of the day? And it's complicated. I mean, when he's first uh, a student giving a pitch to his future, uh, the, the the guy who eventually becomes his investor, uh, you know, Ben is saying, hey, can we just make an app that helps people? And and they're saying, well, you know, we sure we need some uh, celebrity tie ins and we'll need all of these things to make money to to monetize the, the site and this and that. And he's saying, well, can we just do something good? And the answer is, I think, no, because business in Silicon Valley doesn't work that way. You you need to, there's a business side of it too. And so, yeah, the the lines blur in terms of doing some good, making some sacrifices. So it's, it's, it's an interesting, it's, it's, yeah, it's just, it's, it's very relevant to, I think what we all go through and what businesses go through today. I don't have the answers. (laughs) But it certainly was uh, fun to explore uh, the topics. Yeah. Yeah. If you did have the answers, you, we probably could. I'll, I'll help you. We, gotta back yeah. we could build an app and do something. Uh, but yeah, I think, like you said, it's it's much more common. And the other part of it is the human aspect, the human behavior and the influences. And, you know, you take two two different people and they grow up in the same environment, you know, twins. They don't even turn out exactly the same. Very yeah. similar. But everybody's got their own life experience that they, that they bring to it. So. 
that you know there's that aspect and and again very terrifying because it you know it feels so so real. yeah one of the best I mean one I've had many people read the book and then come up to me and say that it has actually caused them to evaluate their relationship with their phones and try to make subtle changes to their habits in 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 concrete ways so that's really pretty fascinating that it would provoke such a, a reaction. I mean, I can get people saying, yeah, I, I knew about this and I was interested, but people say I had, I, you know, wow, I realize I'm, I'm going to bed swiping on my phone. Um, and I don't want to do that anymore. It's really, I, um, it's really interesting. You know, um, I wish them all the best, but I also, <laughs> I would love for people to find uh, more disengagement, but I'm also aware that even myself, like when I started this this journey, writing mindset and researching, I tried to get away from uh, my own usage, and it's hard. It is very hard to, uh, you know, stick with habits of of not using your your phone so much. So um, it speaks and- to what technology is, is supposed to be for, right? Like we we started off talking about how, how much Ben loves technology and what have you, and it's like technology is supposed to make things easier for us, right? So that we have more time. And that's the irony of it is we sort of have less time and we see each other less now than we have before. But at the same time, I wouldn't get the chance to interact with you as much as I do. Sure. Our phone, right? Because you live, you know, 600 miles. Yeah, technology is good, but technology can also be bad. There's no right or wrong, but it's certainly uh, some of the new facets of it. Everything from social media and and kind of the, the constant barrage of content uh we find ourselves sometimes scrolling or or drifting from app to app not even knowing what we're i mean you guys can tell me if you're hearing this if you find yourself like you're in bed or you're on the couch or even at work and suddenly your phone is in your hand and you've been scrolling for five minutes and you don't know why or what you were scrolling for you just you needed a break you went to your phone and you started scrolling and you might have scrolled through a couple different apps. You were on Twitter and then you're scrolling through Instagram and then you're scrolling through Facebook and then you're going to go, what, what, what am I doing? I'm supposed to be doing something else. Why am I doing this? And that level of like control is freaky to me that, and we, I feel like we all do that. I think I like millions of people do that and we don't even talk about it. That's crazy. Horrible. I, 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 just did it today. I, I I needed to text some my wife, I think, something about dinner or something. And I, so I picked up my phone to text her. But, oh, I have these notifications for people that have messaged me on Twitter. Let me go read Yeah. Them. And I get sucked in there with my notifications on Twitter, my messages on Twitter. And then I put my phone down and realized I never even texted my – I never even <laughs> – right? Then I got to pick it up again. Uh, it's so – it's. So- I mean, and all those – all, you know, all the reasons why the notifications are read – you know, that's studied, you know, they do, they make it red or the chimes or the vibrations or whatever it is. This is all carefully curated to really maximize your clicks and your engagement. Uh, it's really fascinating. The more you're on your phone, the more likely you're to see an advertisement, you know, your attention is a commodity and it's, it, and they spend millions, 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 millions of dollars trying to find out the exact right font and, and, uh, logo and everything to make sure that you will uh want to click on that um it's fascinating and terrifying and we're all we're all in it 
Yeah, so, you know, I probably yeah. would be even worse at it. I, I do mute, so I don't have any sound notification on for my phone. So it's only I will I will tell though if if you're listening, and you've not uh picked up mindset yet. It's not just all like doom and gloom, like uh beware of technology. It's a, a it's a really uh we had a, a lot of fun writing a, a really taut thriller. It's a really uh great character story and and uh, lots of twists and turns i think it it definitely keeps people on the edge of their seat and um we, we had a lot of fun when it was coming out in single issues seeing people kind of uh read it and then be excited for the next drop and now it's out in trade so people can binge the whole thing so i'm really excited about that and, and I, I mean the artwork the collaboration with john uh, pearson who's an amazing uh, uh artist he won the eisner for ram v's blue and green he collaborated with anand and uh the art this is his first real creator owned series and just so many breathtaking visuals and this is just amazing so yeah yeah a really interesting use of negative space a lot of times which helps to set that sort of bleak feel that the story has at times and kind of pull your eye in i mean right from the start that scene with uh, the investor falling over the side of the boat takes up maybe a third of the panel and then yeah. it's the cityscape and the night sky with the stars just gorgeous yeah, it's it's it a lot of great stuff. We had a lot of fun. I mean, we really got in the weeds collaborating. Uh, we were both really excited to kind of push the limits and boundaries of the comics medium and play with deconstructing things or play with creative layouts. And so, um, you know, it's not it's not avant garde by any means. I would say, you know, it's very in the line of Bill uh, Sinkevich or uh, Martin Simmons, what he's doing in uh, Department of Truth. But yeah, we had a lot of fun with, you know, when panel borders break apart, you know, or uh, when a character is is in silhouette or not rendered more than another character. And there are subtle cues to maybe who's in control based on the rendering of a, of a character's colors. And uh, certainly it's a really interesting story because Ben is narrating the story and he kind of is unsure about how he feels at times. And so, you know, he's trying to decide what he wants to think about these things. And so there are moments where his narration is going in one direction, but we're seeing the story in what could be a different way. And so we had a lot of fun kind of with the narrative techniques. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm excited to hear readers as they pick it up, What if they can continue to enjoy that, the, the, the ones who are picking up the trade. But um, yeah, it, it, we, we had a lot of fun being inventive with the, with the, the, the styles. I mean, there's one page that we've had a lot of uh, compliments on where we they're talking about looping one of the characters by getting uh, the mind control on his phone and then controlling them again and again and again. The page is all in a loop. So, um, you know, we had a lot of fun playing with layouts and stuff like that. Yeah, and I want to I want to talk a little bit more about the mind control aspect now that we've kind of dissected yeah. the the technology aspect. But I, I do have to ask you one more thing visually. Uh, whose idea was it not to use word balloons? I mean, yeah, John's art's gorgeous. Don't cover it up with word balloons. Um, so well, it's interesting what uh, what was done with the lettering. Can you talk a little? I mean, bit? Hassan is is just brilliant. That was absolutely Hassan, our our uh, letterer. I mean, I think he saw what John was doing with the artwork and he knew that he had to do something that would, you know, gel and also lead the eye and also carry all of this uh, verbose narration. And um, he found this really fascinating. I think the whole thing's hand lettered. 
He found this really fascinating style. The backgrounds of the balloons are not solid, but they're like semi-transparent. So you can see the artwork through the balloons, which gives it this real sense of duality. And um, it's just, and it's like a little textured. And then the, the, the balloons just have these little thin lines that kind of dance around and it, it's just beautiful lettering. It's just perfect. Not only that, I mean, um, when you read the book, the, when there's actual mind control going on, we have a couple pages where like you see these people's uh, heads kind of experiencing visually stunning, uh, you know, aesthetics and the lettering uh, is married the sound effects are married into the artwork so hassan and john are kind of working in tandem uh of that process not to mention john uh is is doing all of this part digitally and part um you know um naturally painting it and doing it by hand and and going back and forth which is really crazy so you he's doing you know layouts on on the computer and then he's printing them out and he's adding artwork you know at his table paints all sorts of and then he's putting it back in the computer and finishing it up digitally then you have Hassan adding hand lettered uh lettered balloons and then interweaving it with the art sometimes the art's coming back on top of the of the lettering so just a really uh amazing collaborative process on the art side and really back and forth. And, and, and the results are, are fantastic. It's just such a beautiful book. Pages. Huh? I hope you got at least one of those. I got a couple, I got a couple waiting for me, but uh, yeah, if you read it and you love it and you want some, some original art pages, definitely reach out to John and, and, and try to claim some. Yeah, they're uh, they're fantastic. Well, I I did want to talk a little bit more about the the mind control aspect. Let's start off with this. So, if you had the ability to control somebody's mind, if you had this this app, what would you what would be your first order of business? Tell them to go buy mindset and and uh, comic stops everywhere. Uh, no, you know I I I talked about this. Um, and it's really scary to me. And I, I don't think I'd do it. I think especially after writing Mindset, I, I really don't like the responsibility of selling your soul, right? Of trying to control other people and using mind control on other people. Yeah, I don't I don't like that. And I don't I don't you know, I'm not even really comfortable trying to uh I mean, I, I I love telling stories and I like being a comic creator, and I'm not even comfortable like trying to be someone who influences other people just in general on social media um, that, that just that dynamic makes me uncomfortable. So in terms of like mind controlling people that that just makes me uncomfortable. I, I feel like, especially today, there's so much discourse that's all about trying to control each other and so kind of the last thing I want to be is another another uh, spoke in that wheel of trying to uh, dominate and uh, and control people. So, yeah, I, I find the whole premise really uh, scary. But the good news is we have uh, artificial intelligence and robots that are all about to do that for us anyway. So we don't have to really worry about controlling each other much longer. So. Yeah, the thing I keep going back to is because I think about it too. Well, what if I had this app? What, what yeah, would, what would you do? What would I have done? And th- like, there's so much of me that feels like education and critical thinking is sort of lacking in modern society. 
And so, you know, if, if I could, you know, that would be my way to free people, right. To make your own decisions. Like if I can get everybody to, to sort of be more educated and, and think critically and make their own decisions and not just believe whatever they see on Facebook or, or whatever. But again, I'm falling into the same trap the guys did in the book, right? Because I'm saying, I want you to do something so you can make up your own minds, but I'm doing that by not letting you make up your own minds and have your own choices. I mean, look, regardless of politics or religion or anything like that, the very nature of who people are is how they make decisions and how they take in information Uh, to change. That would be to change the way people are. Uh, It certainly sounds like a utopic society that everyone might be critically thinking and all see the same uh, truth and all be able to see the same uh, data and make decisions for themselves. But it's just not who we are as human beings. You would be changing the very nature of who people are. And I think the very nature of humanity itself, like, like the book comes back to, Human beings like to be influenced. They like to play the game of being controlled. They don't like to make, we don't like to make hard decisions. We all probably have jobs and careers and loved ones that require enough of our our hard work. And so uh, we all like to be stupid sometimes and make dumb decisions. So it's dangerous at any point trying to, trying to, uh, it, I mean, it's very much like, I mean, uh, mindset's been compared to like an episode of Black Mirror. And I think it very much is kind of like a Black Mirror episode to think that you could kind of control the population in any way. The irony being that we're all letting the tech companies yeah. make that like that's then when it comes back to the other point of view, which is but someone is going to control everyone. So if if Zach, do you want to mind control everyone by saying no? I'm also allowing that's the other rub to it all is I'm allowing someone else to take that, that mantle because someone is going to mind control everyone in our society. So the only question is not what, but who, so yeah. Amazon, it's Disney or Google or whatever. So uh, did the story change at all? I I know you, you work from, you know, an an initial outline where you kind of have, you know, all the the big beats and then going and, and fill things out. But I also know you like to leave room for things to change organically. Were there any, any changes in, in, in plot or certain characters arcs or anything like that as this was building? I, I, um, couple small ones. I mean, I think the story for the most part was pretty true to what we set out to do. Um, and, and John can attest to that as I, I certainly pitched him most of what you see when we started, but I will say that, um, I was very fortunate uh, having this picked up by Vault Comics, who immediately saw the the promise and potential of it, and um, Adrian Wassel, and then Dershing Helmer, who's their um, relatively new editor, although I think she might have been there a year now already. Um, they both uh, came on the project and helped us, and just amazing editorial uh, guidance to enhance the characters, to enhance the drama, to bring out the vision that we were laying out even more. So certainly there was a lot of fantastic um, changes that came out in that regard that weren't about departuring from the story as much as just making it, it, it ring true and be a, as, as good as it could be. Um, the very, very ending uh, 
has a very it, it, the the epilogue of it all is a bit um interesting and i don't want to to ruin too much but i will say that it is a bit subjective and it was not initially as subjective as it as it is it, it when i initially went on the journey i thought the ending would be a bit more concrete but given the nature of the conversation of who's in control it, it, when we got to the ending we felt that a bit of a kind of a subjective leaving a portion of it kind of a bit open felt um more authentic so once you read it you can see what i'm saying and and you'll know that that was something we discovered along the way yeah it doesn't exactly tie up in a nice neat bow but i was terrified the whole time i read it i you know i read it when it came out in singles i reread it in anticipation of our chat and I binged it. And yeah, it was just as scary the second time. And then, yeah, that ending is like, oh, man. But I think it invites you to tear it. I, my hope is that it, it it invites you to tie it up in a bow. And the question is, what bow do you think it, yeah, it is? Huh? What control do you have? Yeah, you're yeah, you're in. Are, are you in control or not? You can you can decide what it is, because I think it's there. But it's it's kind of a question of. It's like a, a Rorschach, you know, it's like, what did you, what it it's, you tell me what you saw and that's what it is. Cause that's the, <laughs> the nature of things. So uh, yeah, but um, yeah, it, it, it evolved in some small ways, but certainly most of it uh, stayed true to it. Yeah. And it was very successful for vault. I think it was a good place for it to land and reader reception throughout while the monthlies were coming out. I saw people constantly talking about it. What was the experience for you and, uh, and the team? Yeah. I mean, it's been a, one of my best-selling um, books uh, ever. It's it, it. We were very blessed with some really amazing reviews and amazing buzz. It certainly kind of caught in the zeitgeist, and I think it was a, a big hit for Vault. And um, yeah, it's been an absolute joy. So um, it's really rewarding to have it out in in trade. I know um, so many readers wait for the trade. And so we're excited to just have it out now and, and let people who have been waiting for it, go get it and let new, new people discover it. So yeah, really, really, it's, it's funny to make something that takes, you know, like you spend a year planning and then a year making it, and then a year of pulling out the issues. And then you get to this point and then it's almost like it's just starting its life too, in some ways, because as a trade, it will be enjoyed and discovered for years to come. So <laughs> it's both the end of our journey with it, but the beginning of our, of its journey. So uh, yeah, happy graduation uh, and, and off, off mindset goes. Yeah. And the cover for the trade, everybody, it's the cover from issue one by Pearson, somebody looking at their phone and just like hair blown back and just yeah. so yeah. striking. It's, it's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah, it is. It's a great cover. So everybody go check it out. It's available in trade, uh, or I'm sure you can hunt down the single issues if you'd like to, to read it that way. But uh, let's talk about um, your series that came out from Dark Horse last year as well, Breakout, because I know this ties in a couple of your loves. We know your love of sci-fi, but it also ties in your love of, of heist stories and heist films. So let everybody know what uh, what Breakout is about. Yeah, Breakout takes place in, in kind of today, um, but it follows this premise of these mysterious cube spaceships that appear all around the world, and they're only abducting young people between the age of uh, 10 and 21, uh, and uh, the governments and the nations and adults all around the world who are not being abducted say that there's really nothing we can do. 
uh, and we just got to live with it. We can't attack these ships. They're not responding to communication. We we cannot stop these abductions. So we just accept it. And uh, the story follows a group of uh, teenagers, high schoolers, who say we're not going to do that. We've got loved ones that have been taken and we're going to rescue them with an Ocean's Eleven style prison break. So it very much takes the heist prison break um, sort of adventure genre and mashes it up with, uh, I guess, an a, 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 um, alien arrival of sorts uh, with the, the spaceship component of it all. Uh, but it's also, I guess, a very much a kind of youth empowerment story. And it very much looks at what young people are going through today dealing with um, all sorts of uh, problems and issues that, that they're facing and kind of being passed on to from, from older generations. Yeah. And that's one of the things that, that sort of gives me hope. I certainly feel like today's younger generation is a little more, I don't know, aware politically than it feels like my generation was and a little more active. Yes. Yeah. Odd. You know, they may be the ones to save us. Um, cause, Cause that, yeah, that certainly comes through in, in the story and in the characters, especially the main character of Liam, whose brother Tommy has been one of the uh, people that abducted, yeah, abducted, and he just, yeah, he's so tired of of nobody doing anything. If nobody's going to do anything, he's going to take it upon him himself. So, uh, yeah, and there and there, it's very much kind of a, the, you know, when he tells his friends what he wants to do, and they're they're like, "This is crazy! Like, you're we're going to break into and like." essentially an alien spaceship and rescue our friends. This is crazy. And his response is we live in a world where we're abducted every week and they do nothing about it. We're already at crazy. Yeah. And then if you compare that to some of the allegorical issues that this is obviously drawing parallels to anything from school and community safety to climate change, to anything you kind of go, yeah, we're already at that kind of some of the things that take place in our world are crazy. So uh, you can understand why young people throw caution to the wind and say, I- I'm tired of watching nothing be done. And and so I think it is inspiring um, young people's uh, awareness and resolve. I, certainly what I'm putting hope into because um, – you know, (laughs) older generations just do not seem to be moving fast enough at at times. And obviously there's exceptions to every rule, but I, yeah, that's the, that is very much kind of the, my hope that, you know, people will read this and maybe feel a little bit inspired by younger generations. Yeah. Yeah. And don't get us wrong. It's a lot of fun too, because it is a, it is, it is a high story that everybody on the team has their role and what have you. So, I mean, that's actually how it started, Chase, because I was actually, I love heist movies so much and I love sci-fi and I looked around and I kind of said, where are my, like, where is the sci-fi let's break out of in and out of a spaceship? Like, where is that stuff? Like, and I just couldn't, I didn't see see much of it. So you write what you want to want to read. And that was really where it started. I just really wanted to write a cool thought out, you know, here's the team. We're going to break into that spaceship. Here's all the things we're going to go, you know, Oh, the, the force fields and all this and that, and, and the, the robots and whatever else you would imagine facing in a, in a crazy spaceship, that's what we're going to face. And we're going to outthink it. We're going to get out of it. But uh, wrapped into that, I, I quickly found, 
something that was also poignant and kind of relevant, uh, which is something I like to do. I like to kind of marry a, a high concept, fun uh, idea with with something that's a little thought provoking. Yeah. And you got a great artist on the series. We'll talk about that in, in a second. But but yeah, how, how hard was it to come up with the the actual like heist part of it? I feel like man, so I, hard I <laughs> too. But I I've I've heard from other writers. It's so hard to come up with like an original idea that hasn't been done. So before. hard. And Breakout was a four issue mini series, and so definitely it was it was uh, you know I, I'm happy with what we did, but it was very. It, it, it was a very fun, fast ride. And certainly uh, I, I could have spent more time geeking out over the nuances of, of uh, heist tricks and stuff like that. But yeah, uh, it was uh, when they finally get into the ship and they pull off their heist and then setting up and planting all of the things they were going to do. And the kind of heists have this really fun way of like, you'll see the characters doing all the stuff, but you don't know how that stuff's going to pay off. You know, like, you're like, what's that guy doing with all those toothpicks? Like, why is he taping them all together? I don't know. Why, why does he have that air gun? Like, what are they doing? And then it all comes together. And that's the fun of it. You go, Oh, the toothpicks were to do the thing in the air gun. Oh, it all makes sense. So yeah, but that stuff is really hard to come up with. And, and it took a long time. I definitely, I, I mean, that's one of the things I love about being a comic creator. I had fun, uh, studying the genre uh, ad nauseum and really learning uh, this kind of structure of not just the overall high story, but how the setup and payoff of, of kind of that, that heist uh, language for that, for the story. So it was a lot of fun um, for so sure. Difficult, right? Because the one thing that we know as fans of heist stories, when, when it's not believable, when it doesn't work, Oh, it, it lands with such a thud, you know, you're like, yeah, hey. it was tricky, but I, yeah. I'm pretty happy with, with what we got for sure. Um, and then yeah, you mentioned the artwork, uh, Wilton Santos, just an amazing artist. He's, if you're not familiar, he's currently doing, uh, the new Creed comic. There's a Creed comic over boom. And he's, he's, uh, drawing that. And he, uh, yeah, just, just great. He, He really brings life to young people and I really that was what drew me in for him, the the emotion and kind of the it's it's both fun and real and and just fantastic world building, wonderfully emotive pages. I'm a, a, a nut for trying to play with layouts and Wilton just rose to the occasion, just uh, some amazing layouts that really capture the heist vibes. And uh, then Jason Wordy on colors. I mean, one of the most underrated colorists in comics and just brings this really painted uh, evocative kind of feel to it, which I think just really brought some of the scenes to life. So uh, gorgeous stuff. Jim Campbell did our colors and uh, Adam Gorham, who's a fantastic interior artist who also does some cover work, did our cover there and, and just uh, yeah, great team all around. Dark horse was super just uh Great place. I'm doing some more stuff with Dark Horse and and just a great, um, great publisher. So yeah, great experience. Yeah, so much fun. Definitely recommend it, everybody. Like uh, like Zach said, it's four issues. It's it's a relatively quick read. It's one of those things that's a lot of fun on the surface. If you want to get into the teen empowerment thing and and hope for future, it's there. Uh, but man, you can just read it as a, a fun heist film. And yeah. and I will tell. We packed it though. I think like some of our issues are like. 26 28 pages or something so like even though it's it's four it's a 
it's a good, it's over a hundred, it's over a hundred pages. So it really could have been five issues. We just, uh, we did it in four. We'd put a five issue story in four (laughs) and, uh, and now it's in trade. So it's an easy pickup for sure. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I remember reading it and every issue, it felt like, you know, you kind of get the, you know, if you've been reading comics as long as I have, you kind of get the feel for, okay, now I'm sort of at the end. And there were always two or three more pages or more story. I always felt satisfied. Big chunk. of. Well, it was, you know, because not only were we trying to set up all the heists and all the fun action and all of that, but we're trying to set up these character stories. I mean, it's a team of six characters we tried to give each one of them a spotlight and a bit of a subplot and a bit of a soul so that you know it wasn't just a stock group but that all the all the characters had a unique point of view to the situation that they all had life so um yeah when we went at it we said we really need more more space for all of this and and pushed it to the limit it's easy to root for nate you know he's trying to or not nate uh for liam he's trying to yeah yeah but but nate nate's actually my favorite i love nate Nate's my character. Yeah. Uh, Nate is, is a really fun character. Uh, they're the kind of um, mechanic uh, doesn't give a fuck kind of character. And uh, the team is always, you always need that kind of like doesn't give an F kind of character. And uh, it kind of reminds me of a uh, Don Cheadle in ocean 11 and uh, you know, Yeah. It's and they're all they're all interesting. Um, you know, we have our uh, our rich kind of uh, playboy character who's clearly being used for his money and doesn't seem to know or mind so much. So uh, yeah, we, we had a lot of fun kind of playing with all the all the different characters that kind of come together for different reasons. Um, yeah, and 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 diversity in characters too. Nate, you know, non-binary. Very much. Yeah. So that that was great to see as well. It felt very. You know, we're telling stories of, of, you know, today's youth and, you know, today's youth, I feel like, yeah, they've got a lot of stuff on their plate, but they do have more freedom to be who they are. You know, it's a little bit easier. I'm not saying there's not a long way to go, but it's easier. I think that was important because to, it was important to have a really disparate group of characters that come together just to show that it's a that that they're facing this pervasive problem together and that that's kind of what happens you have characters in 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 breakup that are not getting along at the onset but that they they come to kind of find camaraderie and respect for each other which is you know um what you'd hope would happen so yeah it was a it was a it, it we were able to hit a lot of different um things with it so it really proud of the book yeah, I'm excited to have people continue to discover that one as well. That just came out um, in trade just a, a, a end of April or so. So it's it's not been out long. Yeah, and speaking of camaraderie and respect, that's a great segue into into Metal Society. Uh, we'll see, we'll get a little spoiler about the end of that and how how that sort of ties in. But let everybody know what Metal Society is about uh, as well. Yeah, Metal Society is a. Uh, my third uh, book with image top cow and it's a, another hard sci-fi book. So I definitely think if you like eclipse and port of earth uh, it, it's very uh, hard sci-fi in that regard. It takes place in a future where humanity makes robots and then humanity blows our shot and we go extinct and robots are left. So robots take over the planet and then robots bring back humans uh, to do the jobs that robots don't want to do which uh, makes total sense when you hear it. So uh, we come into a world where 
uh, humanity has just been brought back after maybe 10 or 20 years. And we have been subjugated to clean up our own uh, polluted trash on the planet and do the jobs that they don't want to do. And it's very much about um, humanity's place in this this robot world. And it follows this young woman, Rosa, who kind of doesn't understand why humanity can't be more and we can't be more of an equal part of the society. And through uh, circumstances, she ends up facing a robot in an MMA style boxing fight uh, to show what humanity is made of and to show that humanity deserves to be to be part of the society uh, fighting in this society uh robots ironically enough have taken on the premise of duels and fighting kind of as part of their uh societal structure especially since robots can't be destroyed they can just be rebuilt so it's an easy way to resolve uh algorithmic impasses and conflicts and um the humans want to step up and show what they're made of so it's it's very much inspired by fight movies you know rocky and other kind of uh, and Creed and and any any great fight movie, The Fighter, and um, but it takes place in this kind of uh, sci-fi backdrop. One that I had a hard time finding references and comps for because most of the robot worlds, I feel like you see robots completely blatantly subjugating humans in you know Matrix or something where it's quite pervasively the robots are aggressors, but here we have robots that are acting like humans in a very human-esque world, but they're robots and they don't see anything wrong with the way they're treating the humans. And so um, obviously, you know, it's an allegory for, for our own humanity and for how we treat one another. Um, But yeah, it was a really, it was a really fun world to explore Uh, again, some, amazing collaborators uh a relative newcomer to comics but uh gil hermy balby who had worked on uh alien and avatar series over at dark horse is the interior artist just some amazing uh world building and character work marco lesco is the colorist who uh i saw his work on blade runner comic and i was like yes please uh so we got him over here to do just some some fantastic uh colors and and uh troy patiri is just a, a great letterer who captures all these different robot <laughs> different styles of how robots talk in some really creative lettering so um uh yeah we had we had a lot of fun building a, a, a society of robots and and this little humanity corner and and their hope to show that humanity is is not worth counting out yeah I, so i remember reaching out to you um, after the second issue dropped. Because the first issue, we kind of established the world. We established that, yeah, humans are brought back. They're maybe karmic justice, you know, cleaning up the, the mess they made of the planet. Yes. And, and you see that they're sort of second-class citizens, for lack of a better term. And you, and you root for them right away, right? And you, yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on the human side. Second issue comes out. You get the POV of the robot fighter. Yes. See the way he's displaced by humans trying and you don't blame the humans for trying to you know improve their their society's place you know in Correct. the world but the robot you know these robots are being this this robot has been displaced through no fault of his own none and you feel for him too and yes I remember reaching out and going god damn it zach like i thought i knew which side i was gonna pick and then you flipped it how much fun was that a lot of fun and it was fun to kind of plan that ahead of time and 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 be excited to have have that very reaction because the first 
issue is this. Yeah. Like you say, this whole setup of go humans, let's go take on the robots. And then, yeah, we completely flipped the script. And the second issue is entirely predominantly from <clears throat> this, this robot walls perspective and wall is, a construction specialist. So he's good at communicating with other robots and solving problems. And uh, suddenly he's displaced because humanity has earned a shot to do just a little bit more on the construction uh, fields. And so he's, he's demoted and removed algorithmically some sort of, you know, he's lost his status and he doesn't have his, his luxury home. He doesn't have his friends. He has a girlfriend. He doesn't have her anymore. He's demoted to a janitor. And he says, what the heck is going on here? And yeah, you, you absolutely feel for him. And, and that was really, um, it was a lot of fun. And I think it, you know, it was also entirely intentional because the series is not just looking at, uh, subjugating humanity bad. It's also looking at, the way in which we resolve conflicts in our society and how we become really sometimes too obsessed with the blood sport of fighting and fighting to that doesn't picking teams tribalism, you know, and saying it's us versus you and somehow seeing this fight play out will resolve all of the conflicts. I think especially that's been exacerbated with, social media and modern politics, just fighting for fighting sake. And uh, certainly uh, one needs to fight for their, um, for what's right and fight for their causes and fight for themselves and fight for their people. But there's, it's again, a complex issue that doesn't have, how do you fight when the fight itself becomes entertainment? You know, how do you advocate for change and for growth and for respect if the fight becomes something that people don't take seriously as a conversation. And, and so, yeah, we care about both these fighters and we understand both of their perspectives and we are watching as they're both training and the spotlight is being put on them. And this world is erupting in fervor as humans and robots suddenly find themselves from a status quo where they're just coexisting and, and to now being thrust against each other. And rather than looking for resolution, it's all eyes on this, this fight and who's going to win. And so, yeah, it's a really, it was a really uh, fun, fascinating, you know, storyline to explore. And the characters are, are I think um, keep you on your toes in terms of Rosa and Wall and and how they uh, handle this situation because they're both trying to rise to the occasion, but they're also both wanting to win and they're both uh, suffering grievances that they are entitled to. So um, yeah, it, yeah, it's a complicated one. Yeah, it's very complicated. And and the thing that I found so interesting, especially when we start talking about this idea of. Um, respect you know and that's really what it comes down to the robots and, and the human society need to have respect for each other and meet on some common ground the the only two characters in the entire story that really know what the other one is going through are rosa and wall right no yeah. everybody else has their own agenda whatever these are the only two that are put in the spotlight with the entire uh you know hopes and dreams of their society <laughs> pile on their shoulders um and they they almost don't even seem to want to fight at one point you know they're like yeah this this has become you know, th this fight has become not what it was should have been. It should have been 
you know, us fighting for respect. And now it's, it's become larger and, and, you know, sort of taken on a life of its own and yes. lost the, the point of it. Yes, absolutely. But they have to fight and they both don't know how to, uh, to extradite themselves from that, from that complexity. And we really don't, know who's going to win. And uh, it, it, it that's, I, I mean, those are the best fight stories to me are the ones where you really don't know who's going to win or how they're going to win or, or how they can win and overcome the other prevailing existential threats and issues and themes that are going on beyond the wind. So um, you don't even know who to root for because they both have justification for why they're fighting. Yeah. Yeah. So we're not going to spoil the ending, everybody. Go and check it out. But I do have to ask you, Zach, did you know from the start who was going to, how the ending was going to play out, who's going to win? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. You know, I um, I guess every writer is different. The ending is very, all three of these, Mindset, Breakout, and, and Metal Society, the ending comes to me pretty early before I, um, before I even start to fill in the middle and stuff. And I think the reason for that is because the stories for me are very much about the themes I'm exploring, the the character and their journey is very connected to those themes. And so um, it's, it's all very much about how it ends because um, it's not just about the ride. It's not just about the fight. It's not just about, you know, it's all, it's about, where we get at the end. So yeah, I, I definitely know the endings pretty early on, I think. And, and it's, it's more about finding the nuance along the way. I remember when that fourth issue came out, re- couldn't wait to read it to find out who won, but also thinking at the time that no matter who wins, I'll, I'll be okay. Like it was one of those weird yeah. situations, you know, like I'm no, I'm going to be okay. I'm not going to be mad if wall wins. I'm not going to be mad if Rosa wins because they both again had, I- had so much justification for what they were doing. I've been very glad with the response from people who have read it because I was worried as I was conceiving of the story that because it's it's not an action. I mean, it's not an action adventure. It's a drama mm-hmm. about uh, a fight and the fight doesn't happen until the fifth issue. And so you have the setup and then you have three three chapters about the the preparation to the fight but I, I just trusted that that it was so fascinating how much pressure and the stakes and so to me it was really not just about the stakes that these two people are facing but how it erupts in the society and how things get ratcheted up so freaking fast and and yeah and and i think what what i've heard as people read it is that that it it carried it carried in a, in a very exciting way and so it is it is an action story from from the action of the society going up against itself um but it's not like um there's no like you know uh monsters falling from the sky or anything like that it's it's a drama it's a very interesting drama about about robots in a, in a fighting ring so yeah it was well, that tension that's wrapped ratcheting up and anybody who's seen a you know a rocky movie you know or a creep yeah movie, you know you, you know it's coming at the end you're gonna have this cool yeah at the end, and as that tension builds and the other thing you know to your point earlier you had incredible collaborators you know uh balby's art was so amazing it, it, you you're happy you know you're you're 
even though there might not be a ton of action, there's still beautiful art to look at. So uh, yeah, really some great character work. And I mean, it's one thing to make Rosa come to life. It's another thing to make wall mm -hmm. uh, uh, an extremely emotive character and to really connect to a robot and to connect to this robot society and to balance the, yeah, the, the just from drawing a lot of robots and drawing the sci-fi city to capturing the fight mechanics and the fight dynamics and then capturing the emotional journey of this human protagonist in this strange world. Uh, it's a lot of layers and Balby hit it out of the park and Lesko just brought so much, um, so much color and so much grit to the colors and, and Pateri nailed the letters. So yeah, it was another, uh, I've been fortunate to work with some amazing teams and Mel society was another one of them. Yeah. And, and also the scripting for the robots was so interesting as well, because even though these are, you know, they're, they're making statements of fact, that's the, you know, what yes. you're going to do. You still just through the scripting, through the vocabulary, you know, you could, sort of give us clues to, to, you know, not that they have feelings necessarily, but to, you know, their perspective, where they're coming from. And I, you know, the Phoenix Comic Con was recently here uh, and I hosted a panel for Tom King talking about his vision. And we talked about that because it's sort of the same thing in his, his, um, his vision series where he talked about, yeah, the challenge of they're just going to say things that are matter of fact, uh, you know, when vision's fighting with his wife or arguing or whatever, whatever. Yes. You have to find a way to, to still sort of inject some emotion into that that's that's challenging or did it come pretty easy for you i think it I, no it came easy because i think uh you know i spent a lot of time just thinking about how the robots feel and how they act and that's the thing about this world the robots are humans just they're metal you know they act human uh they feel human they actually want to be like humans they're just made of metal and they talk more verbosely and more robotically but when wall is told that he can't work anymore he responds with frustration right. even though he sounds like a robot he's frustrated yeah. and then when other people are saying no you you have to do this or they're they're all handling they're all sad the robot is sad the robot is longing the robot is lonely the robot is dejected and and so yeah, I just wrote them like humans. And then I just wrote the the dialogue in a more robotic way. Um, so I think thinking about them in, in, as humans made it easier. Yeah, fantastic. Well, uh, thanks so much for joining me, Zach. Three incredible series, everybody. They're all out in trade, or you can go hunt down the, the single issues. They're all worth your time. They're all fantastic. Um, I know oftentimes when we talk, you, you have tons of projects going on, but nothing you can actually... Uh, announce or tease is that where you're kind of at right now that is but uh sooner than later yeah I have, I have about five or six different series that i'm working on right now and uh a couple will be out this year and i should have some news coming in the next uh month or two on on new projects but uh nothing at this point so hang tight it's getting closer uh for new stuff um and yeah you can find me on social media zach caps across every everywhere and uh and uh i should be having more news soon enough yeah and i'll put links to uh, the social media and the show notes everybody as always you can go uh and look there if you're having trouble finding zach and uh yeah i can't wait for whatever's coming next you know i'm a huge fan but the other good i got some good ones i got some yeah. real good ones coming well the That's other good thing say. is you know when we first used to have you on you didn't have this huge back catalog of, of work that people could go back and and read you know it was like oh just have eclipse or just port of earth and eclipse 
now you're starting to build up this catalog. So yeah, go and read Mindset, everybody. You love that. It can lead you to Metal Society, then Breakout can lead you to Eclipse. It can lead you to Lost City Explorers, lead you to Join the Future. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's tons of great stuff out there from Zach. So thank you. Thanks, Chase. Great to be with you again. Yeah. Appreciate the time. Good uh, to see you. Yeah. Good to yeah. chat. San Diego Comic-Con or any other? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll be down there. Come find me. Let's talk. All right. We'll do. Uh, and if, yeah, uh, are you, you going to have any signings down there yet? Yeah. Yeah. I should, I think I'll be signing with uh top Cal. I'll be signing with dark horse uh, vault. Uh, we're looking to find a, uh, we're, we're going to do something. Uh, last year we partnered with a retailer and uh, we definitely like to have a presence there uh, with met with mindset as well. So um, yeah. Uh, I don't know if scout comics will be down there. Um, if they are, I'll be, I'll definitely try to be there as well with forever forward. So um, yeah, I should be around. Uh, and, uh, and as we get closer, I'll be able to publicize all of my signings um, uh, when I have them. Yeah, so uh, you heard it here, everybody. Be sure you're following Zach on social media when the time comes. If you're going to be at San Diego Comic-Con and want to get your stuff signed, uh, be sure you're following him. So uh, thanks again, Zach. Great to catch up. And to all you listeners, uh, we appreciate the time as Thank well. you. And we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.